Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, appreciate you checking us out. My name is John. I am the lead pastor. As Adam alluded to, we are in fact wrapping up our month-long series that we've been calling Not Today, Satan. And all we've been doing for the month of March is taking a look at temptation, uh, taking a look at what it is, how it impacts us, um, what it can do in our lives, and most importantly, looking at some of the tools that God equips us with so that we can say not today, Satan. Let me remind you of our driving text for this series. We've been basing all of our conversation on one thing that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He said this, so be careful. When you think you're standing firm, you might fall. You are tempted in the same way all other human beings are. In other words, every single person in the world is tempted, right? Nobody's exempt from that. But all of our temptations really do look different. They're individual. They're specific. Here's the good news. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you are tempted, God will give you a way out. Then you'll be able to deal with it. Over the last month, Paul has had us in what I'm going to call temptation training camp, getting ready, getting us ready to kind of leave today with what we've learned to do battle against the enemy, to say not today, Satan. He's been preparing us for battle. As we wrap up this series, I want to take a look at Paul's closing thoughts on the conversation, or as I'm going to call them, Paul's three things you got to know before you go, okay? Just three final tools he's going to give us, three final weapons, if you will, that he wants to hand us and put into our arsenal so that we can be spiritually strong and that we can have the greatest chance of resisting temptation in our life. So Paul wraps up this conversation on temptation by saying, last of all, right, one more thing. I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. In other words, he would say, I've given you guys tremendous tools over the last couple of weeks in training camp to use against the enemy, but they are useless, okay, if you are not relying on God's power. So with that in mind, he would say, put on God's armor now. Get ready now. Then when the evil day comes, when temptation comes your way, you'll be able to resist the enemy's attacks. And fighting to the end, it's going to be a battle, you will still hold your ground. In other words, if you do what I tell you to do, Paul would say, you will be victorious. He then gives us our three final tools. And I would argue that these tools are the most valuable of the series and perhaps the most practical of the series. So let's kind of get right in and see what he's got for us. The first of these three final tools is the word of God. Paul says, in your battle against the enemy, make sure to take the sword of the spirit, as he calls it, which is the word of God. If you want to be able to resist the enemy's tactics in your life, you need to know scripture. You got you to know the Bible. You got to know God's word. And more importantly, you need to be able to recall it, right? quote it, if you will, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, in the heat of that temptation. You need to be able to wield God's word like a sword. Now, the interesting thing about the sword of the spirit, God's word, is that it is the only offensive weapon that Paul gives us in the entire series. And it's the exact weapon, if you will, that Jesus reaches for when Satan comes to tempt him. Let me show you this interesting interaction that Jesus has with Satan himself as Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew 4, 3. The tempter, that's Satan, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, now he knows he's the son of God, but if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Now, that doesn't exactly sound like a temptation to sin, but it was. In this moment, Jesus was out in the wilderness. He was out there for 40 days. He was fasting. He was relying on God and God alone. And Satan here is trying to tempt Jesus to use his divine powers for a selfish purpose. So look what Jesus says. He says, no, okay? The scriptures say, now he quotes scriptures, Deuteronomy he's quoting. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How incredible is this? I mean, honestly, when you think about Jesus, the fact that he is God on earth, that he has all the power in the world, that in this moment, I mean, he could call down legions of angels to just destroy Satan, but instead he appeals to scripture. He leans on God's word and it stops Satan in his tracks. Jesus one, Satan zero. Satan's not done. It continues. Then Satan took him to the roof of the temple. Now, I don't know if he physically took Jesus there. This is some sort of a, you know, a, a dream. We don't really know, but he takes Jesus to the top of the temple and he says, jump off and prove you are the son of God for the scriptures declare. Stop. Did you see that? Th this is huge right here. Satan has caught on that Jesus is now quoting scripture at him. And so Satan now tries to use scripture against Jesus. Jump off, Satan says. Prove that you're the son of God. For the scriptures declare, and now he quotes, God will send his angels to keep you from harm. Which means, Satan says to him, you can jump off this temple and the angels are going to catch you before you even hit the ground. This right here, is a huge glimpse into the playbook of our enemy. Satan, I don't know if you know this, knows the word of God. He knows the Bible very well, but most importantly, he knows how to misquote it, misuse it, twist it in order to lead you astray. In this moment, Satan is actually quoting from Psalm 91, but he's misquoted it and he's taken it out of context. Now, I don't know if he thought he was going to pull a fast one on Jesus, but this is a tactic that he uses with humans all the time. Did God really say? And he gets us to start questioning the word of God. This is why we've got to know it, folks. Again, in this moment, Jesus reaches for the sword of the spirit, and he responds. The scriptures also say, okay, you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus too, Satan zero. Now, Satan tries one more time attempt Jesus. And once again, Jesus thwarts Satan's efforts by using the power of God's word. And scripture says that Satan went away. Here's our takeaway from this little encounter. When Satan showed up, Jesus was ready. Okay, when Satan showed up to tempt Jesus, Jesus was prepared with scripture. He was locked and loaded and ready to go. He didn't have to like go searching the scriptures for the answers. He just, he just knew it. In Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus had God's word hidden in his heart. He had meditated on it. He had studied it. His parents taught it to him as a child. He grew up in wisdom and stature. He was ready to do battle when that moment took place in his life. So here's my question for you. Are you ready? I mean, if Paul is telling us that one of the greatest weapons that we have in this world against our enemy is the sword of the spirit, then how sharp is your sword? But chances are, if you're like the average American Christian, your sword is not very sharp, okay? Polls have showed us that we as Christians have very strong biblical opinions. We got a lot of strong biblical opinions, 
but we have very little biblical knowledge. And that's a problem in the fight against our enemy, in the fight against temptation, particularly when he knows your book better than you do. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should have the whole Bible memorized, okay? That's not going to happen, all right? Let's be honest. It's not going to happen. What I am saying is that it's vitally important to commit certain passages to Scripture. See, the reality is that when Satan shows up in your life, and it's more likely going to be one of his underlings doing the temptation, they're not going to tempt you to turn, you know, rocks into bread. That was for Jesus, right? That was specific to Jesus in his life and where he might be vulnerable. Now, when they come at you, they're coming at you where you're most vulnerable. And so what I'm suggesting you do is to find Scripture that speaks into your weaknesses, that speaks into your vulnerabilities, that speaks into those areas of your life where you know you're already vulnerable, okay? And you memorize it. You commit it to your heart. You hide it in your heart, as Psalm 119 says. That's what I do, okay? For example, one of my big temptations is, and you guys know this, right? Worry, there it is, okay? Problem in my life. I don't worry about everything. I have specific words. I'm a hypochondriac, okay? It is what it is. I embrace it. It's not a problem. I mean, it is a problem, but whatever. So in those moments of fear, when I am tempted to self-diagnose or worry, I quote scripture to myself, okay? Just like Jesus quoted scripture to Satan, I kind of go at worry with scripture. And I remind myself, Proverbs 3.15, it's a big one for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You're kind of like, well, what does that have to do with anxiety? Well, I'll tell you for me, it says don't be tempted to run to Google to try to self-diagnose, here it is, in order to lean on your own understanding. That's ultimately what I'm trying to do. I, I'm trying to become safe by, by understanding it myself. Instead, trust that God is in control. You're in the palm of his hand. This is just a worry. You do not need to feed into this. Or sometimes when I get anxious, I'll remind myself of what Paul said in a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, ooh, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I am reminded that this fear that I might have, this worry, this is not of God. He, he didn't give me this. So I don't need to listen to it. I don't need to give any power to it in my life. And unfortunately, many times I do. But I've got to keep reminding myself, this is not of God. This is not of God. This is how I use scripture to combat the enemy and the temptations that come into my life. For you, okay, you might have to find scripture that speaks into anger or greed or alcohol, that's an issue for you, or, 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 or lust. How do you do that? Because you're probably like, well, that sounds great. But I mean, first of all, I don't even read the Bible, so I don't even know where to start. Very easy. You ready for this? Google it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Thank God for Google. I mean, you know, it's killing me with hypochondria, but it's great for the Bible. Just Google Bible verses about <clears throat> X, and you will get page after page after page of just scripture that speaks right into your issues and right into your temptations. Another option? Head to our website, soflochurch.com forward slash truth. You actually have to type this in because it's not a landing page for us. Now, full transparency about this particular page. We made it for a series a couple of years ago to be a jumping off point, okay? It, is, it does not have everything you need. It's a jumping off point if you're looking to begin to memorize important scriptures in your life. Paul says, if you want to have success against the enemy, if you want to be able to resist temptation, you got to know God's word. you got to have it memorized. you got to hide it in your heart. Next tool Paul hands us before sending us out to battle is a reminder to pray. I would say that prayer for a Christian is our lifeline to God. 
honestly. And the fact that we as Christians, because of Jesus, have direct access to the creator of the universe, that's crazy when you think about it. I mean, that we worship a God that actually wants to hear from us. He's not a God that just tolerates our prayers, where he's up there going, oh, what are they saying now, right? No, he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear our prayers, and it says that he wants and desires to actually give us good things. Here's what Paul says from the passage of the day. He says, pray all the time. Pray all the time. Classic Paul. Paul is the guy who famously said, pray without ceasing. That our ultimate goal as Christians is to get to a place in our life where we actually what I'll call live a life of prayer, where we are in one long conversation with God throughout the day, morning to night, just in and out of conversation with God, welcoming him, asking for his guidance and protection. First thing I do when I wake up, first thing, okay, I pray right away. Before I even check the phone or get the clock, I just, I just, I pray. I invite God into the day to, to watch over my steps and my family and all that kind of stuff. When I eat, I pray, okay? I'm, I'm praying in the shower. I'm praying in the car. I'm not praying for you in the car. I'm praying that I don't lose my mind, okay? Because I just want to just drive headlong. And, okay, so God, don't let me do that. Okay. Paul wants us praying all day long. He wants us to be in constant contact with our Heavenly Father. But then he takes it a step further, and it's huge for this particular series we're in. He says, I want you to plead with him, reminding him of your needs. Plead is a very interesting word. Plead is an emotional appeal. And sometimes when you are in the throes of temptation, okay, when things are running hot, okay, the only thing you can do is to cry out to God, just to, just to, just to plead. And sometimes you, you only have enough time or enough energy to say, Jesus, help, right? Help, Jesus, I'm about to screw up. It's, I'm about to make an unwise decision. Lord, would you help? I need you to step in. I need you to help. God makes us a promise that can be found in Psalm 50. He says, call to me when trouble comes, and I will save you. That's a promise. Paul would say, folks, as you leave today, you might get to a place in your life where, where, where you find yourself in trouble, okay? You, you, things might be looking dark. You've got Satan's arrows coming at you left and right, he would say. Things are, it's looking like you're this close to giving in. And in that moment, I want you to cry out to God and he will answer. Now, a lot of times when we find ourselves in sort of these, what I'll call sticky situations, okay, where we're kind of maybe in a place where we shouldn't be and we're this close to screwing up and we're surrounding ourselves with, okay, you know what I'm talking about. In those moments, we kind of think the last person I should be talking to is God right now. I, I, he's got to be mad that I'm here. He's got to be mad that I've gotten myself mixed up. And so I, 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 cannot, I cannot go to God with this. The exact opposite. Scripture says we can expect God to help us because, because he's sympathetic to our weaknesses. He gets it. Remember what the author of Hebrews said about Jesus. We looked about this in week one. Of Jesus, it says this, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He gets it, right? We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. According to this, Jesus faced every single temptation you faced. He struggled with anger. He probably struggled with lust. He was a human being. We know he struggled with loneliness at times. We know he even struggled with God's plan 
for his life. So there is no temptation that you will encounter that Jesus himself is not familiar with. And so, Hebrews would say, let us have confidence then and approach God's throne in prayer where there's grace. There we'll receive mercy and find grace to help us just when we need it. Jesus knows exactly what you're going. He's watching. He knows what you're going through. He's been where you are. He is not judging you. He did not come to this world to judge. He is there to help you. Scripture says, call on God in the day of trouble and he will deliver you because God is faithful and he will always give you a way out. So Paul says, before you leave, don't forget Scripture. Don't forget to pray. And then he ends with something really interesting. He says, pray for me too. Here's what I love about this. You think about all the things that we've talked about in the last four weeks, all the various tools and, and weapons in order to defeat the enemy. And then he wraps up this conversation, this massive teaching, by turning to us, by turning to his audience and saying, pray for me. Pray for me too. Which shows us that one of the most powerful tools that we have in resisting the enemy and resisting temptation is our social circle. It is a reminder that we need to surround ourselves with the right kind of people. That our friends and our associates, associates, the ones that we kind of do life with, are a key component in our spiritual life and our fight against the enemy. Paul does not pull any punches when he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not let anyone fool you. Bad people can make those who want to live good become bad. Now, I chose this particular translation because I like how it reminds me, at least, of what Paul said last week when he said, I want to do the right thing, right? But I don't. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do. And the truth is, according to this kind of thing, and I hate to, that's a harsh word saying a bad person, but when, when you surround yourself with the wrong kinds of friends, it makes doing the right thing that much harder. Another translation says this, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. All week I was going, bad company. Okay, bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled, he says. Do not be misled. And yet some of you, and I don't know who you are, but some of you are being misled. Or you're misleading yourselves by believing that the people that you're hanging out with are having no impact on your life. You're telling yourself, or someone's telling you, that those folks, whoever they might be, are not impacting how you think or on how you act or on how you treat other people or how you treat and view yourself. But you are being misled. The wisest man who ever lived, a guy named Solomon, said this, walk with the wise and you'll become wise. That's a promise. He's saying when you just walk with wise people, when you just do life with good people, you automatically, without any effort, just by osmosis, become wise. In other words, wisdom is contagious. It's contagious. Pull it up for them, Brady. Um, you will become a better person just by hanging out with people who are trying to be better people. Scripture says that iron sharpens iron. That when believers do life with each other, hang out with each other, serve alongside each other, they make each other better. They make each other sharper. Walk with the wise and you become wise. However, here comes the warning. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Notice this is not the mirror image of the promise. 
you would expect him to say, based on what he said in the first line, if you walk with fools, you'll become foolish. No. He says, associate with fools, you're going to get in trouble. I would say it like this, being around the wrong kind of people never helps you do the right thing. Now, as Christians, okay, because this is difficult to hear sometimes, and as Christians, we're to love everybody, okay? You're to love everybody. That's what we've been called to do. We're to have compassion for everybody. We're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every single person, no matter what is going on in their lives. However, we need to be very selective about our friends. Because our friends, those we bring close to us, have influence over the direction and the quality of our lives. And so, if you are somebody who struggles with, let's call it alcohol, and your friend group does nothing but bar hop on the weekends, that's a problem, okay? It might be time for some new friends. If you are someone who would say, you know, I'm tempted to gossip, that's a little bit of, that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm vulnerable, and your friends do nothing but spill the tea, mm, that's an issue. It might be time for some new friends. So how do you know if you're due for a friend upgrade? Well, let me give you a couple of questions to mull over. How about this one? Do your current friends represent who you want to be? Do they espouse values that you admire? Do you look up to them and, and what they're doing in their life? If you have children, or you were to have children, right? Hypothetical children in your life. Would you want your friends pouring into their lives? Would you want the people that you're doing life with have influence in the life of your child? How about this? Are your friends helping you become a better person? When you're with them, do you find that they elevate your ethical standards? or your moral standards? Do they challenge you to live better? Do they call you out when they see you about to make an unwise decision, or do they look the other way? Perhaps even egg you on. Here's a big one. Are your friends bringing you closer to God or farther away? See, friendship might not be the most important factor in your spiritual life, but it is definitely the most overlooked. When you get plugged into a good group of friends, and I would argue fellow believers, that you can do life with, who can build you up and encourage you and strengthen you, you will see your faith flourish. Your relationship with God will grow and you'll have a far better chance at having victory over temptation. Paul says when we are bonded with good people, when we are strengthened by prayer, and we are meditating on God's word, then when we are weak, which is all the time, then God's strength is made perfect inside of us. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? It's your first time here at DHC. Every week, put this word on the screen. We just want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So normally, I kind of give you guys the practical. I say, here's what I want you to do. But today, I want to do something different. Today, I want to do like a little bit of an own, you know, a choose your own adventure kind of a thing. Paul showed us his three final tools to defeat temptation, to strengthen us spiritually. He showed us the power of Scripture, he showed us the power of prayer, and then he showed us the power of our friends. Now, if you're a Christian in this room, and I know many of you are, I think you'd agree that these three tools are essential for your spiritual health and your survival against temptation. And chances are we all need work in all these areas, right? But I don't want you to work on all three, okay? I want you to choose one, just one. Because if you leave here today thinking you've got to do all three, 
you're not going to do any of them. <laughs> just, these are just such huge, massive components of our life. It's just too much to take on at once. So I want you to choose one area to focus on. Which area is a place that you need the most work in order to better connect with God and be more spiritually strong? Maybe for you, you need to start reading scripture, okay? I bring this up all the time. I'm going to keep bringing it up. You've got to read the Bible, folks. You, got, you, got, you, you need to familiarize yourself at some level with God's Word. So get a Bible, read one online for free, pick up a devotional, read some Christian book. The only way to claim hold of the promises of God and to lean on His truth is, is to know them. It's to read His Word, the sword of the Spirit. So find a way, find any way to read Scripture and commit some of it to memory. Others of you might need to work on your prayer life. Maybe you're someone here today who the only time, you know, you cry out to God is in that SOS moment where things are getting hot, right? And you, and you desperately need it. And that's good. But I would challenge you to begin to try to expand that conversation with God. Maybe invite him into your day like I do in the morning. Hey, God, just want to thank you, f- you know, for what you did yesterday. I just give today to you. Ask, lead me and guide me. And just have a conversation. Ask him to watch over the people in your life that you love. Now, I know prayer can seem intimidating. And I use that word seem because it's, it only seems intimidating. You think, well, I can't, you know, make these long, complicated prayers. The Bible doesn't really want you to do that. The Bible just wants you to talk to your Heavenly Father. Remember, He created you. He loves you. Scripture says He knows what you need before you even ask. He just wants to hear from you. So begin to expand that conversation in your life. And lastly, perhaps some of you here today, maybe just one of you, needs to prayerfully consider your friends. Maybe today you had a confirmation of something that you've been suspecting for a long time. You need to do a little pruning in the friend department. Your friends might be fun, right? You've known them for years. You love hanging out with them, but they're just not helping you become the person that God has called you to be. They're not leading you away from temptation. In fact, they're leading you right to it. Remember, God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you're tempted, God will give you a way out. Lean on God's word. Strengthen yourself with prayer. Surround yourself with good people. And Paul promises that you'll be able to confidently say, not today, Satan. Not today. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you that You've allowed us to have this conversation about temptation over the last four weeks. This is something that plagues every single one of us because we are human. To be tempted is to be human, Lord. Every single one of us struggles at some level with some particular vulnerability. But God, you have not left us alone in this battle. You've equipped us with tools And most importantly, you've equipped us with the power of the Holy Spirit that any single person who calls your son Jesus their Lord and Savior has the same power inside of them that rose Jesus from the grave. God, as Paul said today, let us be reminded of that power and your strength. So as we leave here today, God, help us. Help us deal with the attacks of the enemy. Help us to lean on your word Help us to come to you in prayer, God, and allow us to surround ourselves with people who would help us to become the best versions of
of ourselves. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.